welcome to this edition of the Alabama Historical Association's podcast program. I'm your host, Marty Olaf, and I talk with people who conduct interesting research and do interesting things concerning Alabama history. You can find out more about the Alabama Historical Association, a membership organization devoted to Alabama history, by pointing your browser at our website, www.alabamahistory.net. My guest is Dr. Burtis English, Professor of History at Alabama State University. Dr. English received the Alabama Historical Association's 2023 Clinton Jackson Coley Award for the best book on local history published in the previous two years. This is for his work entitled Civil Wars, Civil Beings, and Civil Rights in Alabama's Black Belt, a history of Perry County published in 2020 by the University of Alabama Press. Congratulations on the Coley Award, Burtis. Please tell us about your book. Marty, thank you, and it's a pleasure to be here today. The book essentially is a county-level history of Perry that deals not only with the civil rights and cognate activities of that county and its citizens, but also some things that took place in a period when individuals don't necessarily think about civil rights per se. You know, that terminology sort of came in vogue following the American Civil War, but what I attempt to do in the book is to set the stage for what would happen. Why Perry County, for example, did not necessarily fit the orthodox mold of reconstruction history, whether in Alabama or the South or elsewhere. So let me just set up a bit about the traditional understanding of what reconstruction was, which dates to the late 19th century, the early 20th century. There's a, a group of historians and political scientists and others who studied under William Archibald Dunning at Columbia. It's called the Dunning School, and some individuals refer to it as the racist school of historiography because virtually everything about Reconstruction, according to Dunning and his students, was negative. We have an individual, for example, in Alabama who wrote a book in 1940 titled Alabama's Tragic Decade, and that title sums up what these individuals thought about that post-Civil War period. It was a time where greedy northern politicians, uh, called derisively carpetbaggers, came to the state, took advantage of ignorant African-Americans, worked oftentimes with a group of native-born white Republicans called scalawags, again, derogatorily. And what I attempt to do is to piggyback on the work of individuals such as Sarah Wilford Wiggins, who wrote a book in 1977 called The Scalawag in Alabama Politics, who took up the mantle from an earlier historian and sociologist, W.E.B. Du Bois, who in 1935 wrote Black Reconstruction. And what he did was, you know, folk called this revisionist history, but it's actually, for me, was a corrective interpretation of what took place. Wiggins, for example, showed that the vast majority of individuals who held political power were not from the North. They were native-born Southerners, many of whom were Alabamians. She likewise, as did Du Bois, showed that Reconstruction was a time that benefited not only African-Americans, but also poor white folk. Women, for example, you had homestead legislation put in place. There was, for the first time throughout the South, that is the entire region, the instituting of real, solid, genuine public schools for citizens. So those were the types of facts that were shown out by folks such as Du Bois and Wiggins. And of course, the masterpiece for Reconstruction remains to this very day, Eric Fona's Reconstruction, America's Unfinished Revolution. 
And that subtitle is so very important, gave me wave to move on because it's America's Unfinished Revolution. His book came out in 1988. And what I do in my book, moving back to it, is to show this continuum of activity from the antebellum period through the wartime period, what post-war period, first Reconstruction, and showing how that sort of set the stage or Perry County serves an incubator for activity in the second Reconstruction, which more familiarly is the modern civil rights movement. Why was Perry County different? Perry County was, again, by my judgment, a place that was not this constant hotbed of physical violence. And I think part of that stems from the relationships that were forged by powerful white folk and some of their servants, most of whom were enslaved, but some of whom were not. They were able to create this relationship. They had mutual respect for one another. And in so doing, those slave owners and overseers and those who also sort of were humanitarians allow, for example, Black and by ethnic folk to become educated academically, right? There's a story, for example, about a woman who attended one of the first collegiate institutions for white women in the American South, which is Judson. Well, this enslaved person could not attend formally, but she attended the school informally. There's another individual whom an extremely prominent white Baptist minister allowed to hold his own services without being supervised by white persons, which, of course, was against the law in Alabama at the time, but he allowed him to do so. That was an anomaly. We can go on and on and on with these types of activities that, again, span Civil War, which Perry County was able to endure because you didn't have but one real battle that took place in Perry County, and, of course, that was at Marion. So you have this setting of the stage for these mutual relationships that will lead to bi-ethnic cooperation that did span into post-Civil War, the Reconstruction era. Again, big part of the history of the county was that the only governor from Perry County lived in Marion. And Marion is sort of the epicenter of activity. It was the county seat. It was before the war and immediately following the war, the white Baptist capital of the South, some folk would say the entire country, and quickly became a place where autonomous religious activity among Black and by ethnic folk also took place. But instead of oftentimes fighting against such advancements, socially, culturally, politically, economically, white persons most often in Perry County if they did not attempt to facilitate that activity, at least did not stand in the way of it. So you had, for example, the founding of a private institution called Lincoln School in Marion in 1867, which in 1870 became the first state-sponsored or publicly funded normal school or teaching educational facility for Black folk. In 1873, it then became the, this is a long description, uh, so I'm going to slow a bit with it, the first Black or bi-ethnic publicly funded institution to emphasize liberal arts instruction in the country. That's a long description, but it's so very important because persons look, for example, at Talladega, from which I was graduated, the first HBCU in the state, but the first public HBCU in the state and the South and the country, again, to offer a classical education, essentially, was right here in Marion, Alabama, the county seat of Perry. So from that, I show how a small number, 
but extremely, I think, forward-looking individuals of African ancestry were able to form these linkages with white folk who facilitated becoming rather powerful individuals in the state and the region. One person I will name, Alexander H. Curtis, for example, was the only Black person to serve as president pro tempore of the Alabama Senate. One of the most fascinating individuals in Alabama Black Belt history, and I'm not going to speak further about him because I'm working on a little project there, so I don't want to give it away. But he was one of those individuals who helped to incorporate the Lincoln School in 1867, and his family continued to be extremely important to African-American advancement including up to the, what we refer again to as the modern civil rights movement. You know, some folk, or many folk actually, look at Montgomery, Alabama, and specifically the Montgomery Boy Buscott as the impetus for the modern civil rights movement. Of course, we can debate whether it's Scottsboro in 1931 or even move back before that, but I show in the book that Perry County actually was extremely important to the modern civil rights movement. Some of the activities, for example, that ultimately led to the Voting Rights Act of 1965 happened in Perry County. Of course, the killing of Jimmy Lee Jackson by a white state trooper uh, took place in Marion. And of course, that would lead to the Selma to Montgomery March in uh, the month that is March of 1965. So Perry County has a long storied history, and uh, it was my hope that I would be able to discuss some of that and show why uh, Marion and Perry County in general continues to be an extremely important place in the history of Alabama, the South, and the country. Let's go back to the time of enslavement. Was there anything unusual about enslavement in Perry County that may have set the stage for the rise of individuals at negotiating the post-enslavement era? The level of acceptance of humanity was in Marion in particular, but also in Uniontown, which, of course, at the southern tip of the county, kind of like Mobile, of course, because of the large number of bi-ethnic and in some instances, multi-ethnic individuals there. Mobile was different than many other places in Alabama. For example, Black and bi-ethnic Mobilians always could be educated academically there because they drew on their European ancestry. That was not the case, of course, in other places, but illegally, though I think very ethically, several prominent white families in Marion permitted their enslaved and otherwise Black and by ethnic servants to have a degree of literacy. You know, some in scholars have argued that it was because, again, because Marion was so important culturally, again, the Baptist center of the world. So when you had visitors to come to that locality, you needed individuals to be able to serve them well and to be able to communicate with them well. So with those activities, I think there were persons who realized that the individuals had more in common than not, notwithstanding the laws, of course, that divided the ethnic groups in the state. Another thing that was also important, I think, to note is that there was a very large population of bi-ethnic citizens and enslaved folk subjects in Perry County during the antebellum period. So some of the, I think, relationships that were grown from those persons were natural, so to speak, because they were, they were biological relatives. But having this very large group of individuals who emphasized and understood the value of academic education and also having two of the most important 
Baptist denominational institutions there with Judson and then with Howard, which of course would later on move to Birmingham. But having those institutions there, I think there were persons who, because of their levels of erudition, were more open-minded or broad-minded about ethnic relations than there were in some other places. And I'm, by no means am I trying to suggest that Perry County during the antebellum period or the postbellum period was utopian, but again, that level of violence in the county itself simply was not as prominent as some, some other counties in the Black Belt and the rest of the state. Curtis, I've heard that in some areas, some powerful white individuals use their agency to short-circuit violence and plan activity later on. Did any of that happen in Perry County that you can address? Yeah, I found that. Again, you had Reverend McIntosh, for example, was one. William McIntosh was one, Baptist, prominent Baptist minister. And he oftentimes spoke out about how senseless it was, not only culturally, but also economically, for individuals to have sort of clan violence in Marion and surrounding places. Remember, Marion was a place and Perry County in general was a place that survived the American Civil War largely intact, politically, geographically. So in attempting to bring some business to the area, oftentimes she said that persons should work together as opposed to being separate from each other. Another person was Andrew B. Moore, who incidentally was the Civil War era governor. He was the person who ushered Alabama into the Confederacy. But following the Civil War, he was one who actually stressed the importance of black folk attaining, for example, academic education, land ownership, et cetera. Now, one can debate why he did that. Some individuals suggest that it was largely self-serving because he was a property owner and of course could make money from individuals who now earn wages or who otherwise had a bit of money to buy property. But I think that the relationships that had been forged before and during the war was equally as important as any other self-serving motive. Third, Person. In fact, the third person's family was Porter King. Porter King, in fact, at one point owned the land on which Lincoln School sat, and he sold the property, in fact, to Black and Black ethnic citizens in Marion, whose ownership of that land was uh, somewhat unique in as much as they were one of the few places where all of the property that comprised the Lincoln School and Lincoln Normal School and ultimately the Alabama State Lincoln Normal School and University before the state took over belonged to the Black and by ethnic community. In fact, in the 67 lease agreement and then the 1868 lease agreement made sure that the land would be held in the possession of Black or by ethnic folk or Black and by ethnic folk unless they themselves decided otherwise. So again, all of this could not have taken place if there were not individuals such as McIntosh and Moore and the Kings, it simply would have been impossible. And if I might add, I think the value in this book is that it shows that instead of making these very broad generalizations about how Reconstruction occurred, we note the exceptions to some of those places, not suggesting that Perry County was a rule during Reconstruction, but it was a place that suggested and showed how individuals could live together following one of the most divisive four years in the country's history. And I suggest that if individuals could do so then, then I think we have something to learn from about how we perhaps can behave today. Let me go back and touch on something that I think I heard you saying, that the people in power seem to be a little more progressive, saying that a rising tide floats everybody's boats. Is that what you're saying motivated the powerful in Marion and in Perry County? 
Yeah, I think there was a very large degree among the power holders there. We're talking again about the kings. We're talking about the Moore family. There were other individuals, for example, the person who served as the president of the Alabama Secession Convention in 1861, also in Perry County in Uniontown. And these individuals, I think, realized that, well, one, Marion specifically was upwards of 60 percent black in, or by ethnic at any particular time. And the vast majority, we're talking about 18,000 plus individuals who have African ancestry, a much smaller number of individuals who have European ancestry. And so they realized that if, if these individuals, number one, were to leave, you're going to lack a labor force. Okay. Second thing is, though, as you stated, is that the ability of all individuals to rise up and have agency and so forth is going to benefit the entire town, the county seat at Marion, and also the county of Perry itself. So I'm not, again, suggesting that you did not have individuals who belong, for example, to the Knights of the White Camellia. I'm not suggesting that you did not have individuals who belong to the actual Ku Klux Klan, but their numbers simply were fewer there than some surrounding counties, Marengo, for example, Lowndes, for example, Wilcox, for example. And likewise, the ability of very powerful to African-Americans in there, the Curtis family, for example, the Childs family, for example, the Freemans and the Webbs also enabled them to sort of sit at the table when some decisions were being made and that spread out for the African-American population throughout the county. And a very important part of that dynamic was the positioning of the Lincoln School, the Lincoln Normal School, and ultimately the Alabama Lincoln Normal School and University. In our last few minutes, please tell us about yourself for the benefit of people in the Alabama Historical Association and outside of the Alabama Historical Association who may not know who you are. I'm a professor of history at Alabama State University in Montgomery. I've been there since 2002, completed doctoral study at Auburn University under J. Wayne Flint, who actually was the individual who suggested a project (laughs) about Perry County, and I'm so glad that he did so. I'm originally from Talladega, Alabama, and was graduated from Talladega College. Also was graduated from Jacksonville State University, where I studied under Hardy Jackson III, And I'm a proud grandfather now. That's the most important thing in the world. They have a grandson, Malcolm Deontay. What are your plans for the future? What other projects do you have coming up? I mentioned the Alexander H. Curtis book, which is in manuscript form. I have a few things that I need to tighten up. Again, a remarkable individual. But I'm also working on a book manuscript about Oscar W. Adams, Jr., who was the first Black person appointed to the state Supreme Court and ultimately the first person elected to the state Supreme Court and in so doing became the first Black person to hold an elected constitutional office in the state. So he was appointed in 1980, won election in 1982, and remained on the court until 1993. So some folk confuse Oscar Adams Jr. with Oscar Adams Sr. Oscar Adams Sr., of course, was the editor of the Birmingham Reporter and also served as National Secretary Treasurer for the African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church. So those are two projects I'm working on. And Martin, if I might add, recently was named editor of the Journal of African-American History, which, of course, is the organ for the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History. It's the oldest publication of its type in the country and the most prestigious publication of its type in the country. So I'm looking forward to that activity. Congratulations on being named journal editor. That is really a testimony to your fine scholarship and your capacity for administration. Have I missed anything? Is there anything that you want to talk about? 
I think we've covered good ground there, fertile ground. I really appreciate you asking me to come on. Congratulations once again to Coley Award winner Burtis English for his book, Civil Wars, Civil Beings, and Civil Rights in Alabama's Black Belt, A History of Perry County, published in 2020 by the University of Alabama Press. Thanks for being here, Burtis. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. This has been another edition of the Alabama Historical Association podcast program. Our music is the traditional tune, Whistle By, performed at city stages in 1996 by James Bryan and Carl Jones. It's provided courtesy of the Alabama Folklife Association, which you can find on the web at alabamafolklife.org.